You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey, alright, so welcome to the first official episode. <laughs> this one's just going to cover a, a bunch of ground, actually, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, I, I realize that most people probably have a, um, an understanding of a lot of things, but I just want to provide a, a framework, if you will. So I'm going to start off here with hermeneutics, which sounds like a big intimidating word to some people, but it just means interpretation. Um, when you get into the Bible, it's important to know what, what you're reading and what's going on. Uh, context is, is definitely a big, big deal when you're reading the biblical narrative, you know, um, audience, um, relevance is important knowing the covenants and the laws. Um, I, for one, like to start with a historical contextual interpretation and then go from there. Um, it's not limited to that. There's obviously different types of ways of interpreting. That's the one that I prefer. Um, but of course there's, there's, um, layers to that too, you know, um, cause there's, there's spiritual things, even though it's just, I, I prefer historical, there's still things that are applicable to us today and, um, that to apply, uh, to our lives. But, um, you need to know the literature. There's several types in there. Some have said there's up to 300 different figures of speech in the Bible and we are in the 21st century. The Bible is a really old book. Um, some of those do not translate well over to our English language. Um, with that stuff, though, you find poetry, the Psalms, the Proverbs, prophecy, apocalyptic language, parables, and idioms, or the figures of speech, um, things that we wouldn't be uh, familiar with, like I said, um, if you aren't willing to catch catch those appearances throughout the writings that we find in the Bible. Um, um, so a, a, a good rule is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Um, an example of an idiom um, would be heaven and earth. We have a physical heaven and earth. But sometimes in the Old Testament, Israel is is um, called heaven and earth. Um, the Jews thought the temple, or called the temple, heaven and earth because of the way it was laid out. And um, so so those things are, are to, to really be in consideration when you're reading. So all of those things help to develop theology. And it's a lot like a referee at a basketball game and hardly seen, but is controlling all that's going on. It's the basis of our beliefs 
and it guides our, our thinking, our values, and our actions when we're trying to live and put those things into action in our lives. Um, it, the word theology, again, most people don't want to be too, too concerned about it, but it simply means God and word. That's all it means. And then it's thinking and discussing God and all that he encompasses and all the things that we find in the Bible. And that's where we get our doctrines or teachings. There's a doctrine of God. We all know the three omnis, right? Omnipresent, omniscience, uh, omnipotence, all right? He's everywhere. Um, it's unlimited knowledge and wisdom, and he has unlimited power. So these apply throughout everything we come across um, in the Bible, and those are our core beliefs. And we have them about God. We have them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Man, sin, salvation, the church, and last things, or most commonly known as end times or end things, sadly, but we'll talk about that later. So this all comes from theology of the Bible. But here's the reality. Um, it's sad when one declares belief in someone or something but reveals much ignorance of it. You know, like, oh, I don't know about all about that or that or this and, and these things and, and whatnot. Um, you, you can't really you can't really hold your own, you know. Um, you, you just can't. That's the truth. And I'm not trying to be harsh. So a, a lot would say and I would I would agree that Christianity historically has been a thinking faith um, because it, it all comes from the desire to love God with all of our being and to know as much as we can about him and his word. But it seems to be neglected in our day. And to be honest, it's not just in our day. It's, it's gone throughout history. Um, but, you know, we can think the refer thank the rever the reformation for, for doing, doing things that would break us away from, from certain uh, bondage, if you will. Um, but at the same time, um, We've become more fascinated with our feelings and more energized by our activities than by core Christian truth. And I think that's the truth. And God has warned us through the prophet Hosea in chapter 4, verse 6, that his people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Many today, I would say, believe that if the scholars and pastors know their theology, then we are safe from the big H, the heresy, not hell, <laughs> but heresy. But we trust in these people and we trust that they will keep us from the drift of every wind of teaching that's mentioned in Ephesians 4. But does that really, um, does that really protect us? Um, this is, this is about an individual relationship with the Lord. So each of us are accountable for our own spiritual development and not all, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everyone, but not all preachers, teachers, and even theologians can protect us if we don't arm ourselves 
with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And that's in Ephesians 6, verse 17. So, especially in the Western culture, we face that epidemic of biblical illiteracy. But most of the time, when it comes to the beliefs, it's because we haven't picked up the Bible to find out for ourselves and tested things. We have become victims of our parents, our grandparents, um, or our preachers. We have just taken things for what they have said, and it's been, that's that, right? Um, if we don't have a good, solid theology of the Bible, then we op- open ourselves to attack. And um, that, make, that makes, makes it on us, right? The fault is on us. Our ignorance makes us vulnerable. Now, some may be offended by this, but it makes us, when I say that, our ignorance makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to today's acceptable Christianity of me and my world, that liberal type of theology of desires and dreams, that whole destiny dream doctrine thing that's going on. It becomes self-centered. It's man-centered preaching. It's nothing more but, you know, <laughs> self-help glorified feel good uh, about this that the other and you know a new house and car and, and it's not even in i'm not even attacking prosperity gospel when i say that i'm just saying it becomes self-centered it it's a narsa jesus if you will narsa jesus <laughs> is is placing yourself into the text of the bible um, how many of you heard, um, how many, you're a giant slayer, all right? You got to slay your giants, but da- you're not David. You're not David. You're not going to be David. He, he was a type and shadow of Jesus. Goliath was the type and shadow of Satan. And so that was a all, all, all through the Old Testament that happens and then Jesus shows up he has slayed your giants okay so in history it's old to new and then to mixing old with the new and mixing all kinds of other junk all right I'll explain that in a moment so let's just talk about the old the old is the old covenant it's the mosaic law God didn't want it but the people did. And this happened at Mount Sinai, okay? He was going to make them all a priest. Priests, um, a nation of priests. They said, no, take Moses, give us the rules, and we'll, we'll do those. We'll, we'll abide by those. But, eh, didn't work so well. And he gave about 1,400 years of showing that it doesn't work. He also was veiled in this process, so the true love in the heart of the Father was not experienced or seen because there was a roadblock, if you will, or a blockage because of that veil to have a personal relationship. So God the Father and God the Son decided to make a new covenant, which had already been decided, but that's a conversation for another day, but... 
This is where Jesus is the high priest. He is the lamb and acts on our behalf. As the high priest, he he represents us and presents us to God, if you will, but as fully man and fully God. This brings us to a doctrine that comes from theology out of the Bible. It's called the hypostatic union. 100% man, 100% God. This is a grant covenant. This is where a higher being makes an agreement with a lower being. And it's pretty much, I'm going to do all this for you. You don't have to do anything. And that's the way it is. And I will honor it. For this, for the reason of a direct relation and for all to be a royal, royal priesthood. But even within that first century, the, the old was still there and it was trying to mix with the new. This was with the Judaizers. Uh, they still liked some things of the rule book. They just weren't getting it. You know, the, the Gentiles were being accepted by God and the Jews come along and they're, they're, they're realizing and grabbing onto the fact that, okay, all right, well, we see that God's accepting you guys now too. But if you really want in, if you really want that, the real deal, you're going to have to be circumcised. And Paul says they're trying to spy out our freedom, which they're trying to spy out the circumcision. And then he says, I wish those people that are troubling, troubling you would just go all the way out and castrate themselves. Why? Because the law was no longer needed. It had been fulfilled by Jesus and accredited to all of us. But we still like things from the rule book. The book of Hebrews explains it well. You know, Jesus is perfect and superior to anything Judaism and the old had to offer. He's counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Chapter 10 explains that faith is superior to the work of the old. And God gave grace like he did in the Old Testament for over 1,400 years. He gives it again to the Jews for 40 years to accept this and to reveal or to, to accept the revelation of Jesus. And then he brought his judgment in 70 AD to close the Old Covenant completely or the Mosaic Law completely. Um, Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Over 1 million Jews were killed. So the temple comes down. Um, the Levites, the, the, the Levitical priests are all killed. All the records of the uh, ancestry is done away with. So there's no way to uphold the law or to try to live by the law now because there's no priests. There's no way to sacrifice. The temple is gone. But it still went on, and it still goes on. There's so much that just happens over time, and it just keeps reoccurring. So we come a time comes a time where people started to study so much and gain so much knowledge that they were actually lacking true some true relation and 
lacking the power of the Holy Spirit because he wasn't there. And that's where we start to see cessation come in. And cessation is that the gifts and, and all that had ceased. But at the same time, there's the rise of Pentecostalism that's going on, and the Holy Spirit is working, but they lack theology to prove cessation wrong. So, and then with all that, we have dispensation that in the 19th century that comes along and it just chops chunks of the Bible up uh, to time periods um, where God intervenes on every time man fails and then uh, the the whole concept or invention, if you will, of the rapture and a, and a weird defeated eschatology starts to show up um, from the, the Plymouth uh, Brethren. And um, so we end up now just in the church age. And with dispensation, there's two peoples of God, um, the, the Gentiles and the Jews, which... God favors the Jews more. So when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, we'll be raptured, and then uh, the Jews will be able to have a temple again, and Jesus will reign in the temple with full-on sacrifices. Yeah, that's probably another episode within itself. <laughs> so, But that there brings in nationalism. So now, not only do we have people who don't understand that the law has been fulfilled and Jesus was the fulfillment of that law, which makes him a fulfillment of Israel. He's a type of Israel. If you, He was Israel. But since people don't see that, they're mixing law and grace, and then they're supporting the people that they think God favors more. So we have nationalism and we have Zionism and Zionists because... God favors that nation instead of us. So we better support them or we get cursed, even though God doesn't curse nations in the new covenant. All right. Um, the only the only covenant he is honoring today is the one that he's made with Jesus. And we enter into that through repentance. Then we're justified by our faith and placed in Christ. And our job is to stay in Christ and abide, all right? Um, so then we had this whole, the holiness movement and sanctification and Christian uh, perfection. And all of this stuff, I mean, ho- holiness and sanctification is, is yeah, that's, that's real. But the emphasis on these things and a mix with law and grace and and all these things and not realizing the 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 power of what Jesus has done on the cross on this side of the cross uh, just it it needs to be realized with what that covenant holds and what that gives us so time and time again it says to be in Christ all right Paul really in Romans just hits at home like we are justified we are sanctified it's neither greek nor jew man woman child you know in christ takes us into the kingdom now as new creations so it's the kingdom age i think it's not the church age 
It's the kingdom age. And getting back to the new needs a reformation from bad theology to good theology that's in Christ, that's in the kingdom. With Jesus, he shows up, he shows his kingship by miracles and healings and all these things showing what it's like and what happens when he is king. He is reigning as king. He's seated at the right hand of God, and we're placed in that, seated in the heavenly places. And he is reigning as king now, and he's to remain there until all enemies are placed under his feet. It wasn't showing off. It, it was showing under his kingship, this is what happens in my kingdom. And I, that's why I think we need a theology that's grounded in the new covenant not mixed with law or any traditions of man. This is why people's identities are distorted and we cannot walk in the kingdom now filled with bits and pieces of the bad or the false, the liberal or the doom and the gloom and the pessimism. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven and flour. Uh, The gates of hell shall not prevail. Uh, we need to reconcile all of those types of things with the theologies that have been around and are around today, all right? So that's the way I feel, <laughs> because bad theology makes us ambassadors of the church since we are in the church age, all right? Let me say that again. Bad theology makes us ambassadors of the church since we are in the church age, instead of ambassadors of the king and the kingdom age. So, <clears throat> that that's just a little there, all right? Uh, I think I'll go into a little bit of, of covenants and, and things like that, maybe on the next one. But I think that's a, a, a short little overview on why it's so important to to pay attention to to. To, the the, to theology and what's being presented by preachers and by teachers or by YouTube prophets <laughs> or, or whatever. You know, pay attention to what's being said. Um, and, and, you know, Thessalonians says to test everything and hold on to what is good. And that's, that's, that's the word. So that's, that's great advice, right? So let's let's do that. Um, <laughs> my world has radically changed, and my freedom has increased so much since I started to study and to um, know the difference in covenants, to know the difference in law and grace, and to have a start to grab an understanding of the kingdom, um, because that's what Jesus inaugurated. That's what he brought. That's what he taught about. That's what he continued to teach about after his resurrection. And that's what Paul uh, continued to instruct people about when he was in house arrest for the last two years of his life. Um, so I think it's uh, important. So that's a little overview on, on the good versus the bad. And there's probably some ugly in there too. And um, thanks for listening. This has been the Kingdom Project Podcast. Check us out on Facebook and like. 
um, Podbean, YouTube, Twitter, all those places. Subscribe, share, leave a review. And if you'd like to email, the address is thekingdompodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.